Morning. Today, I want to talk about sleep and rest. Have you ever heard a sermon on sleep and rest? No? Here we go. Now, you might say, wait a minute, Pastor. Sleep and rest? Come on. Really? Now, we're, we're, a, we're a Bible teaching church. We like to open up the Bible and study theology and talk scripture and, and kind of delve into those deep topics of the word. Who cares about sleep and rest? Well, as a matter of fact, God cares about sleep and rest. And the scriptures are chock full of passages that don't just refer to sleep and rest, but that beckon us and even command us to sleep and to rest. I want to go over some of them just kind of rapid fire with you. If you have your outline, take a look at your outline there and we'll, we'll go through them uh, one at a time. Starting with Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, all the way back at the original creation story. It says, thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it, he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. Look over at Psalm chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. He says, but the psalmist says, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept, and I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. The next chapter over, Psalm 4, verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart, on your bed, and be still. Jumping down to verse 8, I will both lie down in peace, David says, and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Another psalm we're familiar with, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Solomon in Proverbs 3. My son, keep sound wisdom and discretion. There'll be life to your soul, grace to your neck. You'll walk safely in the way and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, when you've you've kept wisdom and discretion, when you lie down, You will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. How about the Gospels? Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. In Mark 6, uh, Jesus and the disciples were out 
doing all sorts of crazy activity. They, they, there were hundreds and, and thousands of people just coming to them left and right, wanting healing, wanting uh, healing from sickness and, and infirmities. And the disciples and Jesus, they were so tired. And this is what Jesus said in Mark 6. He said, and he said to the disciples, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. And finally, the author of Hebrews, speaking here, a little, little uh, setup, speaking here of the, truly the eternal rest that we can experience in the kingdom of God, the fullness of God's rest that awaits us that awaits us on the last day and that we can even now participate in in part. He says, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has also has himself also ceased from his work as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest. Rest. It's a topic worthy of of exploration. Sleep and rest are scriptural. They're biblical. And of course they are. For do we really believe that God would have nothing to say about that which encompasses anywhere from a quarter to a third of every single one of our days? Do we really suppose the scriptures would be silent on something as substantive as that? The truth is, that rest and sleep are perfect topics for this series of messages, which we've entitled on your outline there, The Rest of Life Resurrected. In this series, we've been exploring everyday, routine, regular parts of life. Things like work, things like uh, parenting, things like dealing with, with technology and social media. We've been going through everyday, regular aspects of life. Things like dealing with money on a day-by-day basis, like we covered last week. What does it mean to resurrect, to make it new, to make it fresh, to look upon these everyday routine things and ask ourselves, what would Jesus have us do with the regular, with the ordinary? We often talk about the extraordinary, but what about the ordinary? What about that which encompasses, quite frankly, the vast majority of our day? The rest of life resurrected. Part eight, sleep and rest. Dr. Arch Hart is uh, Dean Emeritus in the School of Psychology up at Fuller Seminary. I've not met the man. I've read a little bit about him, uh, read a little bit of his book. Um, one of my mentors, Dr. Michael Bischoff of Soul Leader Resources, holds Dr. Hart in the highest regard. Uh, it's, it's his mentor. And Arch has a very simple book entitled Sleep, It Does a Family Good. He's got a, a, a wide variety of literature, actually, on some of those everyday elemental aspects of life. Here's some stats from Dr. Arch Hart's book on sleep. Did you know that 200 years ago, the average person, studies show that the average person received 9 to 10 hours of sleep per night, just 200 years ago. Today, anyone want to guess what's the uh, average uh, hours of sleep that a person gets in a day? Six and a half. Very nice, Scott. You win the prize. Six and a half hours of sleep. 
How much sleep do you get? Think about that for a minute. What time do you go to bed at night? What time do you wake up in the morning? You get more or less than six and a half? Adults, if you're an adult in the room, you, according to the most the latest studies, Dr. Arch Hart has surveyed them all. According to the latest studies, the best and brightest of science tells us today, and, and psychology, I might add, and a variety of other sciences, they tell us today that the average adult needs, get this, eight and a half hours of sleep per night to be a fully functioning adult. Eight and a half hours. Are you a teenager in the room? You need nine and a half to ten hours of sleep per night to be a fully functioning teenager. Children that are off in Coast Kids Church right now, guess how many hours of sleep the average child needs to be a fully functioning child? Take a guess. 12 hours of sleep. 12 hours. Some of you laugh. I'm actually impressed. I I got problems with my own sleep. My wife and I, you know, we're working on the sleep thing. Our children, man, they conk out. Our children will, they will often get 12 hours, not, not by our own doing, but they, they'll go to bed at 7.30 or 8, and sometimes they'll sleep a full 12 hours. It amazes me, but I look upon these studies and go, hey, thank God for that. Thank God that they're getting what the best and brightest say that they may need. Get this, the most personally rejuvenating sleep during your sleep cycle happens during the final hour, the ninth hour for an adult. You know, the first hour, zero to one, on, on, on to the eighth hour to eight and a half, that's beginning the ninth hour. The most rejuvenating hour of sleep that you can receive happens during the very last hour. That's why it is so important to get eight and a half hours of sleep. After just three days of sleep deprivation, you will develop mild schizophrenia-like tendencies. Your body will begin to shut down you will actually go into what's called uh, mild, mild sleep cycles where you'll have many two to three second uh, instances of sleep. You ever had that? While driving, perhaps? Kind of. I've done that. That's extremely scary. Extremely scary. Pull over. Don't drive. Sleep is important. And sadly, some of us... Um, just cast it aside. Some of us just fail daily, daily to get the kind of rest and sleep that we need. And I want to just talk briefly on the flip side of your outline there. Why don't we sleep? Why don't we sleep? If you're taking notes, number one on your outline on the backside, the first reason we don't sleep is that we assume that a happy and successful life demands activity. We assume that a happy and successful life demands perpetual activity, constant activity, constant movement. Go, go, go. Move, move, move. Do this, do that. If I'm not moving, I'm nothing. And isn't that the American way? Perpetual activity, we assume, is the key to success, to happiness. Oh, I don't want to miss out on anything. I'm busy. Therefore, I am. Number two, why we don't sleep and rest. And this is really, really a key one, especially for a lot of evangelical Christians. Number two, we suppose that personal care is selfish. 
and that neglecting the body is somehow admirable. I'll read that again. We suppose that personal care is selfish and that neglecting the body is somehow admirable. We think in our own kind of twisted way as we approach the scripture, we think, ah, the body, what what does the body matter? I'm going to die anyway. All that matters is my soul and my soul is the Lord's. I've trusted in Jesus as my savior. Uh, My soul is his. So the body, who cares about the body? Sleep is a waste of time. We get kind of pious about it. We say, oh, I'll, I'll neglect the body because I want to give my, my soul to the Lord. So I'll throw away, I'll toss aside the body and caring for it. Assuming that that's somehow an admirable way to live. Or we don't care about the body at all. We just toss it aside. We say, that doesn't matter. And yet the scriptures would have us remember to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength which takes the working of the physical body. Number three, this is also very often the case, we are lazy and fail to develop, let alone implement, healthy personal habits. We are lazy, that's the reason we don't sleep, and fail to develop, let alone implement, healthy personal habits. You might say, well, wait a minute, uh, Neil. Laziness, doesn't that mean you're resting? No, actually it doesn't. In fact, laziness and resting are not at all the same. As one uh, theologian puts it, laziness is not the same thing as rest. Rest is commended in the Bible. Laziness is not. Laziness is an attitude about work followed by a pattern of behavior that leads one to try to avoid work, sometimes at all costs. Laziness is about work, trying to avoid it at all costs. Rest is commended in Scripture. They are not the same things. And we often fail to sleep and rest because we are lazy. Because we just go through our life and just kind of avoid everything. Work, we avoid maybe time with our family, we just sit there on the TV we avoid the thing, other things that we need, like, like uh, exercise, good rest, good sleep. We're lazy. We don't develop the habits. We certainly don't implement them when we've developed them. And fourth and finally, and I want to be sensitive to this because there are certainly people with whom this is true. Some life circumstance, whether it's a new baby, a health condition, maybe it is work, prevent us from getting rest. Some of you out there are saying, Pastor, I, you know, I got a brand new baby. Or, hey, I've got a health condition. I have sleep apnea. Or I have some other health condition that's preventing this. Or, or you know what? I, I have to work two jobs because <clears throat> there's, not enough, there's not enough money to put food on the table. And so that's why I'm not sleeping well and resting well. We want to be sensitive to those things. There are sometimes, there are instances in life where life circumstance prevents sleep and rest. But there are consequences, deep, deep consequences to inadequate sleep and rest. Here are just a few of the consequences. Ready for them? A lack of sleep and rest lowers your intellectual capacity. It increases forgetfulness. It causes accidents when you are not well rested. 
A lack of sleep and proper rest leads to an innumerable, innumerable amount of health problems. Innumerable. Leads to stress, leads to irritation, leads to anxiety, leads to high blood pressure, leads to diabetes, leads to weight gain, leads to heart disease, heart attacks, stroke. Did you know that there is a tremendous link? Scientists have shown an unbelievable link between a lack of sleep and depression. A lack of sleep and depression. In fact, a 2007 study of over 10,000 people who suffered from insomnia found that they were five times more likely to be depressed than someone who slept well through the night. Five times more likely to develop depression. Finally, a continual lack of sleep can actually trick your brain into believing that you've slept enough. Let me say that again. A continual lack of sleep over months and years of patterns that you've developed, habits, by the way, habits that you've developed, a continual lack of sleep can actually trick your brain into assuming that you've slept enough each night. Here's one quote from a doctor, uh, Dr. German. He, He writes, studies show that over time, people who are getting six hours of sleep, six, begin to feel that they've adapted. I've adapted to their sleep deprivation. They've gotten used to it. But if you look, he says, at how they actually do on tests of mental alertness and performance, they continue to slide downhill. So there's a point in sleep deprivation when we lose touch with how impaired we really are. Let me read that last line again. There's a point in sleep deprivation when we lose touch with how impaired we really are. I can't tell you how many people tell me, oh, I only need five hours. Oh, I only need six hours, Pastor. Dr. German would would say to you, you're fooling yourself. You're completely out of touch with reality. I would agree. Of course we should agree. Do we really suppose, do we really suppose that all of these consequences are unrelated to a lack of sleep and rest? I was uh, doing, uh, I'm doing uh, a lot more marital counseling these days than I've done in the past. And as a result, uh, not uh, having gone through significant training in marital counseling, I've gone through some. As a result, I've kind of sought out others whom I trust in marital counseling. I've gone to them and I've, I've, I've said, hey, give me your, your best, uh, latest tips for you know, an amateur pastoral counselor like me. How, how, what are some of your best uh, tips for a married couple in, uh, in therapy? What, what, what would you tell them? And I have one friend, Dr. Jim Grimes. He's up in Brea and uh, graduate of uh, Biola University and Rosemead School of Psychology. Wonderful man, uh, not, uh, just a little bit older than I, uh, married a, a bunch of beautiful uh, little girls, and a wonderful, wonderful Christian psychologist. And I pulled him aside at a party that we were at, and I said, Jim, oh, I'm glad to see you. Hey, I'm doing a little bit more marriage counseling. Give me, give me the best and the brightest you got here. What are the, give me three amazing tips, Jim, the best tips you could give me. I'm, a little, I'm, a, I'm an amateur here, but give me, the, give me the best three that I can take with me into marriage counseling. He said, okay, I'll give you three. You want three of the best tips that you can give the couples that you counsel 
Here they are, he said. Number one, tell them to go to bed together and go to bed as early as possible. Number two, tell them to get nine hours of sleep every night. Number three, he said, tell them on a weekly basis to ask family or friends or hire a babysitter if you must to watch your children for a few hours, not so that you can go out on a date night, but so that you can go upstairs and take a nap together. I looked at Jim and I was like, that's the best you got? He was dead serious. Dead serious. This man is a very accomplished psychologist. And all three of his answers, the hottest tips he could give me, were sleep, sleep, and sleep. In our continuing conversation after, at that moment, he began to relay to me that every single person he sees in his practice, every single, married, single, elderly, young, wherever they are, every single one of them, he says, are sleep deprived. And they have problems in therapy, in counseling. Sleep deprived, he said. Go to bed together, go to bed as early as possible. Get nine hours of sleep a night. Hire a babysitter if you must so that you can go upstairs and take a nap. Many people would say that's crazy. But Jim, Dr. Jim Grimes has, has zeroed in here on a very serious problem in 21st century America. And that is that we are running ourselves ragged. And we know it to be true. We are not taking care of ourselves, of our bodies, of our spouse, of our children, as we ought to when it comes to the issue of sleep and rest. And our lives are fundamentally different when we are rested. Our lives, when rested, are fundamentally different. When the psalmist says in Psalm 3, 5, on the, on the flip side of your outline, I lay down and slept, I awoke, for the Lord sustained me, he's not just talking gibberish. He's speaking about how there's some kind of sustenance, there's some kind of nourishment that comes through the act of sleeping that the Lord bestows upon us. And what is that sustenance? He mentions it again in Psalm 23. The Lord's our shepherd. He makes us lie down in green pastures, leading us beside still waters so that our soul could be restored, so that we could be refreshed, re-energized. There's a reason Jesus told the disciples, come away with me to a deserted place and rest. He knew it was absolutely necessary. And so I want to give to us today some very simple points, one, two, three, on resurrecting sleep and rest. Very simple, uh, scriptural, scripturally based, but very simple and to the point. And I want to say this in simple terms because we need to hear it in simple terms. Number one, write this down. I am human. I am human. And God designed my body to rest. I'm human. And God designed my body to rest. Rest is physically necessary. 
It's not optional. It is mandatory. It is mandatory each and every day of our life. Ben Witherington writes this, a beautiful quote. He says, rest reminds us day by day, remember your mortal frame, your weakness, your vulnerability, your creaturely needs. Remember you are not God in your life, nor Lord over your life. When this is realized, we can hear the word of the Lord given to Paul when he said to Paul, my power is made perfect in your weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. You know, it's only when we're in a posture of weakness, when we're in a posture of of laying down, literally laying our defenses down, laying our cares and our burdens down, putting our head on that pillow. It's only when we're in that defenseless, vulnerable moment that we receive the rest that we need from God and the strength that we need from God. He says, my power is made perfect in weakness. Sleep is a demonstration of our weakness before God. When you sleep well, you are saying to God, God, I need this from you. When you intentionally lay down early, you're looking up at the Lord and saying, I need your sustenance. Conversely, when you stay up all through the night, working, 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 slaving, 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 or being lazy and neglecting your body, what you're doing is shaking a fist at God and saying, I know better. I can, I can work in this capacity. I'm going to fight against how I was designed. And thus, you end up with innumerable consequences in life. I am human. God designed my body to rest. Number two, when I rest, this is so important, when I rest, I am honoring the Lord. When I rest, I am, write this down, honoring the Lord. You say, well, how can that be? Well, think of so many instances in Scripture, so many of the parallels and and types and symbols that we have of rest. I've mentioned there in your outline, the first I could say is, my rest emulates God's rest on the seventh day of creation. When God rested, (laughs) he didn't need to rest. When he created the world in six days, he looked upon his creation and he could have gone on to day seven and done something else But instead, he did something. And he didn't do it for him. He did it for us as a pattern to us. God, infinitely powerful that he is, does not need to rest. But he did. Why? Whimsically? Haphazardly? No. As a pattern to say to you and to me, do this. Follow this pattern. And thus we come to the next one there. My rest affirms the value of the Old Testament Sabbath. Write down Sabbath. My rest affirms the value of the Old Testament Sabbath. Now, I want to say very clearly, we are no longer under the Old Testament law. I am not suggesting that we have to keep the Sabbath, which uh, in modern terms would be yesterday, Saturday, the the day on which the Jews met in the synagogue. I am not suggesting that we have to look upon Saturday and lay aside from sunrise to sundown and, and, and rest the entirety of the day. We're no longer under the law. We're under grace. We don't need to follow the letter of the law. We're under the grace of Christ, the liberty of Christ. But yet still, it wasn't given haphazardly. The Sabbath was put into place. What does Jesus say? The Sabbath was made for 
man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man, for humankind. He says that in Mark 2.27. The Sabbath was made for you. It was made for me. It was made as a pattern to say to humankind, would you rest? Would you recognize your frailty and weakness? Slow down. Take time to rest. Do we have to follow the Sabbath? No. Ought we follow the characteristics of the Sabbath? Absolutely. Might that mean an entire day of rest? Why not? Do it legalistically? No. But set aside large portion, if not an entire day, to rest from all labor? Relax and, and look up and enjoy the Lord, enjoy his blessing? Absolutely. Number three, or excuse me, uh, the third one there. My rest signifies that I care. I care about this temple, the body of the Holy Spirit, and wish to use it to the best of my abilities. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, do you not know that you're the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? He says it again in 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that your body is the temple? It houses the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, you're not your own. Witherington writes, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, places where the sacred dwells. Therefore, we have an inherent obligation to take care of our mortal frame and use it wisely so that we may be good servants of God. Rest and sleep are essential for all waking tasks, including a specific, specifically the ministerial tasks, the work of the Lord. He says, look, look, when I take care of my body, rest and sleep, and actually we're going to talk about the body next week in more detail. That'll be the next uh, part in our series, is taking care of our body. When I take care of my body by means of rest and sleep, there's going to be many other things we'll say about that. When I take care of my body, I am saying to the Lord, the Holy Spirit, whom you have put in this temple, I want this temple to work in cooperation with him, Lord. God, you've put the Spirit of God in me. Now I want this temple to work in concert with him. If this temple is not ready, is not fit, is not adequately rested to go about my day, it will stunt the work of the Spirit within me. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've preached tired. I'm always, I'm always giving you excuses, right? Oh, I was fine-tuning the message. I'm fine-tuning it. I like to stay up late on Saturday, get up early on Sunday, and do those last things. You know what, though? So often when I do that, I get up here and I'm a little tired. I'm a little exhausted. And sometimes that results in me not giving my best. When I've done the study, I've done the research, I've pre- prepared and planned and prayed, and, and I've got the sermon ready, but when I get up here, I'm, whew, couple extra cups of coffee. Okay, I'm ready to go. No. That's not how the Lord wants me to operate. That's not how I can work in concert with the Holy Spirit. This temple requires sleep and rest. The Bible knows nothing of a workaholic point of view. 
Witherington says it's the Bible sees sleep as restorative, health-giving, and life-giving. Fourth on that, uh, right below point two there, my sleep illustrates the heavenly truth that Christians will not die or sleep forever, but will be resurrected or wakened on the last day. How many times in scripture is the word sleep used as a reference to death? Many times. 1 Corinthians 15, I've given you on your outline. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, when Jesus encountered uh, Jairus' daughter, they said, oh, she's dead. Jesus says, no, she's sleeping. When, they, when Jesus encountered Lazarus, they said, oh, Lazarus is dead. Jesus said, no, he's just asleep. All throughout scripture, in, in the Old Testament as well, very much in the New, sleep and death are put together and then resurrection and waking are put together. It's as if God is saying to us, hey, when you go down on the pillow that night, it's a reverential, it's a sacred, earthly act that displays the glorious salvation program of God. You put your head down, you lay down, it's as if you would lay down and never wake up again, that you would die and cease to exist. But every time you put your head on that pillow, you wake up. And as you wake up, it's as if you've risen again, prefiguring the resurrection that all Christians will enjoy in the last day. The scriptures use the sleep and waking references to speak about God's salvation. How much more so should we participate in those things as we try to give our best to the Lord. Number three on your outline, at the very bottom. Rest is an everyday gift from God. Do not neglect it. Forsake things of lesser importance on a daily basis so that you may rest. I'll read it again. Rest is an everyday gift from God. Do not neglect it. Forsake things of lesser importance on a daily basis so that you may rest. If you're a workaholic, that means working less. You must work less and rest and sleep more so that you can be at your best for the Lord. In some cases, that might mean downsizing and downscaling your quality of life. You might be saying, I can't rest, I can't sleep, I got bills to pay. Maybe your bills are too high. Maybe in your quest to keep up with the Joneses, you've deprived yourself of sacred sleep and rest. And as a result of you depriving yourself, you are harming your own body, your own mind, you're harming your spouse, you're harming your children, you're gonna shorten your life, all for what? A couple bucks more? Not okay. Not okay. And if you or your spouse or a family member is doing this over and over again to their body, you call them out and say, hey, I want you at your best before the Lord. Let's, let's sleep. Let's rest. Let's eat right. Let's exercise. Rest is an everyday gift. Don't neglect it. Forsake things that don't matter so that you can rest. 
Those of you who love entertainment, less of it. Those of you who love the TV and internet, less of it. Go to bed. There's a reason God designed the sun (laughs) to set in the evening. He's physically showing you that the day is over. Evening is here. And it's time to rest. He made your body. He made your body to naturally release melatonin in your brain. Those of you who are more medically and scientifically minded, you know this. He made your body, every single one of you, have a body that when it becomes dark, your brain releases melatonin. And that melatonin is what helps you calm down, calm down the the bodily functions and calm your mind. And that's what helps you rest at night and fall asleep. Melatonin, released at night. In the dark, it's released. Yet, we find so many ways to fight the natural ways that God made us. What do we do at night? Turn on every light. Blazing lights in the house. What do we do at night? Click, 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 click. Screen all night long, watching TV. Light, light, light. Computer, computer, computer. Stimulation, stimulation. What do we do at night? We eat, we drink, late into the night. What do those things do? Give us energy? (laughs) Not meant for the evening? All of us, we send surges of energy back into our bodies late into the night, and then we wonder, why can't I sleep? Why can't I go to bed? Folks, when you do the things that go against how God designed you? Is it any wonder you don't sleep well? Is it any wonder that you're tired and groggy and unproductive and short with others and stressed out and dealing with health problem after health problem? Take a nap. Go to bed. Go to bed early. Make sure you resolve conflicts before you go to bed. Don't let that sun go down on your anger. Come into concert with the natural ways that God made you. My wife and I have been so impressed um, by just these simple things, some of these uh, things I've shared with you today. Um, We've learned a lot of these things, uh, having participated now in our uh, second year, going on three years, in a cohort of pastors and wives. Um, uh, It's put on by Soul Leader Resources. They're an organization that focuses particularly on just the developing a, 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 a wonderful, holistic, balanced life for all Christians, and particularly those in the work of the ministry. So they take up pastors and wives, they take them up to Forest Home, and they put on a, a, a two-night, two three-day program where we, we talk about some of these simple and mundane things. We spent the entire most recent uh, trip, just about four weeks ago, talking about sleep. I was so inspired by those series of messages and talks and discussions and going around the room, hearing every single pastor and every single pastor's wife say, yep, uh, we get six hours, uh, five hours, uh, maybe seven. And here we are, you know, learning over and over again, we're not even close. We're not even on, we're not even in the ballpark of what the human body needs to be fully functioning. I want to be fully functioning for the Lord. Do you? Do you want to be fully functioning 
for the Lord. Here's one tip. Go to bed. Take a nap. Witherington, a final quote. All of life is to be hallowed. All of our activities should be doxological, worshipful, done to the glory of God for the edification of others. This means as well that our resting time is also sacred time. It is something God gives his loved ones who need their rest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that, uh, that, Father, you've given us a wonderful gift. You have limited us, God. Limited the capacity of these human bodies. So much so, God, that there comes a point where we have just no more energy left and we must fall down on the bed and go to bed, go to sleep. But God, you've done this very intentionally. You've done it by design. You've called it good. We don't have to feel guilty about it. We don't have to apologize for it. You've put sleep and rest before us as a part of everyday life. Lord, help us not to neglect it. You've put your spirit within us. Help us to work in concert with him by being well-rested people, forsaking things that don't matter so that we can get the rest that we need in you. And Father, as we do, as we sleep, as we rest, let us remind ourselves that we're participating in the laying down and the waking up the going down into the grave, but the rising again of all those who have trusted in our Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior. God, we want to be well rested so that on the last day when we wake, we will have no shame before your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.